0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. It's the clash of the prophets in our Old Testament reading today, a Jeremiah versus Hananiah showdown for the ages. Both are vying for the hearts and minds of the people of Judah, who find themselves in the midst of political intrigue. A few short years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had conquered Jerusalem and carted off the king, the nobles, and much of the gold and silver from the temple of the Lord. Upon leaving, he installed Zedekiah as a puppet king with one job— to serve Nebuchadnezzar and watch out for his interests in the region. During this time, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah to the people of Judah, telling them that this servitude was the consequence for disobeying him and that they needed to submit to Nebuchadnezzar until further notice. The Lord even told Jeremiah to wear a wooden yoke on his neck to symbolize the servitude that the people of Judah were now under. Now, as you can imagine, this was not the most welcome message from God. And the people of Judah probably thought that this prophet who's like walking around with this ox yoke on his neck was a little bit weird. So into this situation steps another prophet, Hananiah, who has his own agenda. A few of the nations nearby are planning a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. And the puppet king Zedekiah is considering joining them. And Hananiah encourages this by prophesying that Nebuchadnezzar will be overthrown in two years and all the silver and gold that was stolen from the temple of Jerusalem will be returned. He even takes the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah and breaks it in two In his own dramatic act symbolizing God's rescue of the people of Jerusalem but Jeremiah has strong words for Hananiah he says it's very easy to prophesy war and have it come true it's just the way the world works sooner or later someone comes along and starts a conflict and voila your prophecy came true but peace is different Peace is hard to come by. We as humans don't naturally live in harmony with our neighbors or with the country next door. Peace takes sacrifice. But peace is also very appealing as a prophecy. Of course, everyone in Judah wanted to believe that Nebuchadnezzar would be overthrown and the glory of Jerusalem would be restored. And God had promised that that eventually would happen, but in his own time, not in the time that other people set. And so Jeremiah says to Hananiah, go ahead, prophesy peace, but time will reveal whether you prophesy words of truth or not. If peace doesn't happen, your message isn't from God. And unfortunately for Judah, the puppet king Zedekiah listened to Hananiah and joined the rebellion. Within a year, Hananiah was dead, and not long after that, Nebuchadnezzar raised Jerusalem again, carrying Zedekiah and most of the rest of the population off to exile in Babylon. The prophecy of peace was wrong, and the consequences were severe. But honestly, I really resonate with the people of Judah here. Who doesn't want peace in their country and in the world? Who doesn't want their country to flourish in the midst of that peace and not make it happen by somehow being in subjugation to someone else? They were wrong to trust Hananiah rather than to submit to the servitude that God gave them because of their sin. But I understand that impulse to take things into your own hands to make peace happen. In our country today, we're not facing invasion or subjugation by a foreign army. But we do still have deep-seated conflicts, societal, political, religious, familial, conflicts that leave us wanting a prophecy of peace, a word that tells us if we take a certain course of action or believe a certain thing or win a certain argument, that we will find that peace that passes all understanding. For instance, on an Episcopal priest listserv that I'm on, I got an email last week saying, or entitled, how to preach against Christian nationalism. And I can pretty much guarantee you that somewhere in a more conservative denomination, an email went out with the opposite title how to preach about America as a Christian nation. This is a significant source of dissent in our country right now, one that divides families and neighbors. And it's a topic that I think matters, and one that I have opinions about. But I worry about the subtext in emails like this. The underlying message seems to be That if you can convince those around you to agree with you on this, then peace will come. Addressing this issue is the way to solve our country's problems. This is the most important thing to preach about on the Sunday right before the 4th of July. And lest we make Christian nationalism the whipping boy, we can fill in that blank with any number of issues. With our homeless shelters filling up with Central and South Americans, it could be immigration. With all the smoke pollution we have from wildfires in Canada, it could be climate change. I can keep the list going, but you get the idea. We are a country divided on issues that deeply matter to us and to our neighbors. But we do not gain peace by winning the debate or by agreeing to disagree, or by coming to some sort of an awkward compromise that no one is happy with. And this is because peace is found in one place alone, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. The Apostle Paul says it clearly in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. In the sacrifice on the cross, God spoke a word of peace, the forgiveness of sins. In the resurrection, three days later, God confirmed that word of peace, by giving us eternal life. We don't have to wait around to find out whether or not it's true. God has already shown us that it is. Now, some of you might be wondering if I'm just slapping a happy Jesus sticker on the problems of the world. It's like in Sunday school, when you don't know the answer, you just say Jesus, because there's a good chance you'll be right conflict in society no worries Jesus will fix it we don't have to be concerned about it but no that's not what I'm doing here either theologically or practically the fact is all of the problems that we see around us in the world stem from our separation from God they flow from the fact that humanity is in rebellion against our Creator and the fact that we disobey his two fundamental commands over and over, love God and love your neighbor. It's that simple, and we still manage to mess it up pretty much every day. God has to fix this conflict first, the one between us and him, before moving on to any of the other ones. And he has to make that peace with us, because we couldn't go and make peace with him. And that's what he did through the crucifixion and the resurrection. He offered us forgiveness so that we could return to communion with him and be at peace. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that all the world's problems are solved. It also doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the problems of the world, because of some sort of esoterical, theological reality of forgiveness. God cared that the people of Judah were suffering under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, and God cares that our world is broken and hurting as well. God's promise of peace is complete and fulfilled in us as individuals. And it's also still in the works as we wait for Jesus to return and for God to heal and renew the world. This waiting isn't easy. It's on God's time, and time for our eternal God never makes much sense to mortals. Nothing we do can speed up or slow down Jesus' coming. So we wait. And yet, the communion The peace that we have with him while we wait means something. In a few moments, we will offer each other God's peace, and then we will come forward to receive the bread and the wine. These acts show us that God makes us his agents of peace and reconciliation in the world. His grace is present to us in the sacrament right now. We are forgiven and changed and then we go out to our daily lives, to the classrooms we teach in, the businesses we run, the nonprofits we work for, the families we belong to. We bring God's peace to those places. We are the reminder that God has not given up on this world or on the compelling issues of the day, whichever one it is, because he is working in us and through us to bring about peace healing and reconciliation even in the midst of waiting for Jesus's return God speaks a word of peace to us one that is confirmed and made sure one where we don't have to wait to find out if it's real the word of peace God has spoken to us on the cross is made sure in Jesus's resurrection we are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. We can't always see this peace in the world around us, but we trust that God is working in and through us, and we look for Jesus' return when God will heal and renew the world forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorge's.org slash give. Thank you for your support.